welcome to the Originals Podcast. This is the show where I, Ben Young, speak to the tinkerers, marketers, and entrepreneurs cutting their own path. We hear their stories and what they're working on right now. This week's original is Melanie Dezeel. Melanie is the founder and chief content officer of StoryFuel, which teaches marketers, creators, and organizations how to tell better brand stories. She is also the author of the Content Fuel Framework, How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas. Please welcome Melanie. The, Hi. Hey. The, the reason I wanted to have Mel on is uh, I've known her for a few years. I've seen her, her grow from, um, I guess, her branded content work through to growing her own business to being a speaker. Uh, seen her go around the world, and um, I, thought, I thought it would be great to share her story. So, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. And it'll be nice to, I mean, I love talking about branded content. I can talk about brand content all day, but it would be nice <laughs> to talk about something else a little bit. So, I'm excited. Yeah, I thought it would be nice to hear the story behind. Like, obviously, we're all in business to do something, some, but yeah. an output of, of what you do is you help people uh, get better tools and, and processes to create content. How did you... How did you get started with your business? How did you go from, I guess, working from someone else to uh, to where you are now? Yeah, so I when I start first started speaking, I was still full time. Uh, so I had gotten the chance when I was at the New York Times, uh, and then when I moved on to Time Incorporated, I did a little bit of speaking as well. But you know, really on behalf of my team, on behalf of the organization, sharing case studies and things like that. Yeah. And I hit a point where I realized two things. One, I enjoyed that part of my job more than I enjoyed some of the day-to-day parts of my job. Uh, So I wanted to set myself up for an environment where I could do more of that, right? Like do more of the work that gives me energy and inspires me. Um, But the other thing I realized is that I was going from one company to another being brought in to build these teams, right? Like I was always coming in at the ground ground level saying, hey, we need a, a brand content team. And then generally speaking, right around 10, 12 months, like I had worked myself out of a job because we had set up processes, we had trained everyone, we had hired people, and it was sort of like, well, what do I do now? So I I really realized like maybe I'm a consultant and I just don't realize it. You know, I, this is my skill set is kind of coming in like a SWAT team, helping get things set up and then moving on to the next. And so those two realizations together made me think, you know, maybe it's time to, to put up my own shingle and, and do my own thing. And for me, that was really scary. I had never thought of myself as an entrepreneur. You know, I studied journalism, so it's not a particularly entrepreneurial uh, field. You know, we're not really taught to go out on our own. Yeah. Um, so that was a little scary. But luckily, my, at the time, boyfriend, now husband, uh, was an entrepreneur. And so he was able to help me you know, figure some of those things out in the early days and overcome some of those fears by, you know, showing me as, a, as an example that it really could be done and, and giving me, you know, links to resources and introducing yeah. me to folks who can help me make sense of this totally different way of working. What were, if you can remember, what were some of the fears or worries that you had that you, you kind of had to figure out? Well, I mean, I think one of the things that anyone making that leap thinks about, you know, unless you're blessed to have, you know, tons of money in the bank is, you know, you worry, I have this cushy job, you know, I'm making good money in this job. Am I, am I being crazy?
crazy to give this up <laughs> for an unknown, you know, because yeah. we, we hear all those stats all the time. You know that a, a very large percent, a majority of small businesses don't last beyond a year, don't last beyond three years, five years. You know, the odds are kind of stacked against you uh, yeah. just purely from a numbers standpoint. So, I mean, I think I definitely had fears about what if, you know, what if I what if I have to come back to this job tail between my legs and I made a huge mistake? Yeah, um, that was probably my primary fear. And I think the other fear, honestly, was just I I didn't think of myself as a business person, and so I had fears that I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah, that okay. you know I don't know a year a year in I would have realized I should have been doing such and such process or paperwork all along, and I didn't, and now I'm going to jail. You know, <laughs> like that there would be. There would be some dramatic, yeah. you know, business process that I had missed out on. And as a result, you know, yeah. it all comes crumbling down. So yeah. I, I was definitely intimidated having not studied business or, or run a business before that I might be out of my league there. <laughs> what on, on the first one is, is there anything that you did or any advice that you got that was, that was able to help give you that confidence? Or is it just well, an uncertainty that you kind of need to live with for a bit? Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. if you're if you're going into business for yourself, then on some level you have to be okay with uncertainty because it's definitely a more uncertain lifestyle than having a nine to five job. You know, you never know. Yeah. Some some months are great, some months are not so great. Some clients pay you on time, some clients you have to follow up for three months to get paid. So <laughs> there's definitely a lot of variables that you have to be prepared for that it's not as consistent and reliable um but i think you know a a couple of those things i really tried to do was make sure that i didn't make that leap in a way that was irresponsible so i you know i set up clients ahead of time i you know did a lot of outreach before i made the leap so that i knew when i did i had a i had a little bit of of time you know i had i had bought myself some time by by doing work in advance so I don't recommend that you just sort of, you know, give your boss the middle finger and storm out yeah. of the office and start a business. You know, you want to plan and prepare to make sure that, you know, you're you're running towards something and not just away from something. Yeah, you manage the risk, right? You've you yeah. if I'm going this way, what can I do now uh, whilst I yep. have have flexibility? Um, yeah, absolutely. Now with what you know now and what you've experienced now, is there anything that you would have told yourself uh, to either do differently or to think about? I mean, on a super tactical level, I would have told myself to keep better track of my deductible expenses that first year because that was a yeah. <laughs> that was a lot of work on tax time, like sorting through receipts and stuff. Uh, so I've got a much better process now, but. I think on an emotional level, I I probably just would have reminded myself, and I'm sure this is true for, for many of the listeners as well, you know, you always figure it out. You know, yeah. you look back at all the things that made you so nervous, that you were worried about, that were challenges, you figure it out. And so, you know, have a little bit of trust in yourself that, yeah, I don't know how this is going to work out. I, I don't know exactly what the end result will be, but I've mitigated the risks. I'm smart. Uh, I've done the research, I've got the right people in my corner, and I'll figure it out. And I think that, you know, have a little bit of faith in yourself, as long as you're, you know, mitigating that risk and being responsible, then, you know, just uh, trust that you'll you'll figure it out. Very wise ethos. (laughs) Uh, When you you think about your business 
in a few years' time. What what are what are the things that you're building or working on at the moment um, that you'd like to see happen? That's a really good question. I think, like a lot of people, uh, this pandemic has forced me to ask some really tough questions and and make some some pivots and some different decisions. You know, I had always envisioned that a good majority of my business would be speaking because that's really my strong suit. That's what I enjoy. Um, I didn't think about that. Your, your, <laughs> your, your, your core line of business has been disrupted. Oh yeah, absolutely disrupted. There's, there's no events uh, happening, no large events. And I don't think they will be for quite some time as all the other parts of, you know, the world kind of reset themselves. But, you know, I think the assumption many times is, well, we'll just shift to online. But we have to think about the fact that, you know, you might pay several hundred or several thousand dollars to go to a conference, which means they have a much bigger budget. When yeah. you're talking about a webinar, I mean, they're usually free. And if they're not, they're, I don't know, maybe a hundred dollars. Like it's a, it's a very different business model. And so for me, making a living as a speaker in an online world or a virtual events world is, it's just not the same. The opportunity is not the same. And so I'm having to think about, you know, other parts of my business that I can sort of amp up, at least in the interim. Um, so it's really hard for me to know what the next five years look like. I mean, I've, I've done a fair amount of consulting. So, you know, we're trying to do more of that. Yeah. Uh, I launched a book in February. So there's some, you know, revenue coming in from there. But um, I, I don't think I know what the next five years are going to be <laughs> like. I mean, we just, I, I think I'm, I'm just going to have to trust that I'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Embrace that uncertainty. Yeah. Um, you, you touched on earlier, uh, you started the business not being a parent, uh, but yeah. you, you are a parent now. Uh, how mm-hmm. how has that been? What, what was that process like? I mean, obviously, people understand the process of having a kid, but as a business owner, <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, going through that. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there were some, uh, you know, some interesting adjustments at first that I hadn't necessarily thought of. Like, you know, you don't get maternity leave when you are no. in business, right? It's yeah. not not built into the bottom line to, to have paid time off. And so early on in pregnancy, realizing that I had to sort of account for that in my own finances. I had to, you know, work harder in those first few months when I was my most tired uh, to yeah. sort of build up and make sure that that would be okay, you know, in the interim uh, when I had to take some time off. Um, but I'll be totally honest. I think I have a hard time separating the experience of being a parent and a business owner uh, uh, and a parent during a pandemic, just because they're so <laughs> intertwined timing wise. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we, we did have a few months there, uh, January and February, where we were able to get our daughter in daycare. And so, you know, we would drop her off in the morning like normal, and I was working throughout the day, and then we'd go pick her up. And, and that way, I was really learning how to balance working and, and taking care of her as well, right? And again, yeah. you know, lucky to have a supportive partner who is part of that. Um, but very quickly thereafter, you know, the daycare shut down and, uh, it hasn't been safe in our area to send her back since. And so I, I'll be totally honest. I don't have it figured out right now. I think what I've realized is, you know, it's impossible truly without some kind of support or childcare system yeah. to take care of a child full time and work full time. So I've been adjusting as best I can, uh, the last 
you know, a few months doing things like scheduling emails. I, I do a bunch of emails late at night after she goes to sleep and schedule them to go out at a normal business hour or, um, you know, trying to pack as much work in as I can during a nap. Or, for example, I'm taking this call in the car because that's <laughs> the quietest uh, place for us to, to have this conversation. So there's, there's little adjustments along the way. But, uh, uh, yeah, like I said, I think this whole run a business, be a parent in a pandemic thing, it's pretty hard to separate out. Yeah. Yeah. What has been the, I guess, the best thing about about that? about becoming a parent, but also uh, the worst thing, if you if you can share. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, especially for a mom as a woman, um, a lot of your identity shifts when you become a parent. And that was somewhat of a, just a personal challenge for me because I had always identified myself so strongly with the work that I do. And so, you know, when the end of pregnancy got near and I wasn't allowed to fly, I had this, well, am I a speaker? If I'm not speaking, what am I? Who am I? Right. Um, And that continued through maternity leave. And then obviously I'm dealing with a little bit, a little bit of that in the pandemic now. So, you know, that was a definitely a personal challenge for me, just adjusting to sort of a new identity, a new way of identifying myself, a new set of priorities. I think every parent goes through that for sure. Um, but if you've historically identified yourself very strongly with your work as, you know, core to your identity, that can be, you know, an extra challenge. Um, but I think one of the things I, I try to to focus on is the fact that being home with her 24-7, you know, for the last yeah. uh, six months or so, as trying as that can be, uh, you know, as, as exhausting as that can be, I know that I have seen and experienced so many moments with her that I would have missed, you know, that they, they would have happened at daycare or they would have happened while I was on the call or whatever. Um, But now I'm, I'm seeing it, you know, I got to see when she said her first word and, you know, I get to see her standing for the first time and crawling and, and all those moments that probably would have been shared with me from, you know, a, a provider at her daycare, you know, in a, in a story, I got to witness them myself. So yeah. That's definitely been beautiful. That's cool. Um, yeah, but it's it, it is it is definitely a struggle. I think as a as an entrepreneur, and you know, you only make money when you're working, and so to not be able to work, to have that yes. pull back and forth of where you should be spending your time, is uh, is sometimes uh, a real challenge. Yeah, you're you're really aware of the opportunity cost, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing with a baby is that the pace of change is so fast Like you oh, get into a yeah. routine and then three weeks later that routine does not work and you're like I just right figured out that routine you can try to work during naps but those naps are <laughs> sometimes unpredictable uh you know they, they don't, they don't let, start on the hour and finish on the hour <laughs> Right. right, right. The timing is unpredictable. So that makes it difficult to say schedule a call like this one or, you know, set up a Zoom meeting or something. Because if they don't go to sleep or they're teething or they're grumpy yeah. that day or whatever else, you know, then, you know, you can't do it. So that's a challenge. And the other thing is, at this age, you know, my daughter is uh, just a little over one years old, you know, she's moving around, she needs a lot of attention. She's not, you know, five years old. I can't put Moana on and ignore her for, you know, two hours. It's not, it doesn't quite work like that. So 
when she does go down for a nap, like that's when I get to eat lunch and you know, start the dishwasher and, you know, do the other things that I couldn't do because I was pulling random objects out of her mouth and trying to get her not to, you know, hurt herself. Yeah. They're very creative that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. They need active attention. You can't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how have you, you'd mentioned you've shifted out of New York um, mm-hmm. a, a, as many have. Uh, how, how did you how did you make that decision and wh- where have you ended up? Yeah, so we had a moment. Uh, I think it was maybe April. We were in April, so we had been in lockdown maybe five weeks, six weeks, and both my husband and I just started sort of floating the idea around, like, man, you know, it would be nice if we had more space, huh? You know, neither one of us really committing, but sort of floating the yeah. ideas, right? <laughs> and I think we, we very quickly had the realization that we were thinking the same thing, which is this place is way too tiny if we're going to be locked here 24-7. So we were working with around 600 square feet, um, which is small, you know, for uh, a baby and two adults trying to work from home. You know, we didn't have, our house wasn't built up to be two offices, you know, and two bedrooms. It it was not set up for that. And it was causing a lot of stress for us. You know, there was no place to to have a moment of peace. You know, only one of us could have a call at a time because there was not enough space for two different calls to happen. You know, Uh, it was was very stressful. So we started to look around and the realization was, look, if we're going to uproot our lives and move during the middle of this thing, then like, let's really make a call. Let's not just move to a, you know, a, a yeah. bigger, cheaper apartment down the street. Like let's, let's make a change here. Um, and I think we had realized that with everything going virtual, you know, I certainly wasn't going to need to hop on a flight anytime soon. And, you know, the need for in-person meetings was nearly gone, at least for the foreseeable future, that it didn't matter where we ended up. So we actually made a list of Rather than choosing a place, we tried to make a list of the qualities that we wanted in a place. So, you know, it was important that, yeah, so it was important for me. I wanted to be near a a major airport hub because hopefully business will pick back up and we'll be able to fly. Um, And, of course, to visit family easily when when that's safe. Um, You know, we wanted to be closer to nature, have access to parks and beaches and things like that. Um, you know, certain kind of weather. You know, we said, I don't want to have to shovel snow. So let's let's get out of that zone, you know. (laughs) We kind of made a list of those things. And then, of course, you know, wanting to be near a tech community, wanting to have, uh, you know, access to, you know, coffee shops. We didn't want to be out in the in the total suburbs. So once we did that, we kind of looked at the places that, that fit the bill. And one of the places that kept coming up was Raleigh, North Carolina. And, you know, we don't have family here. We, we didn't, you know, obviously didn't get transferred for a job, but yeah. it just fit the bill. It had all the things we were looking for. You know, we were able to more than double our space in terms of how big our apartment oh, really? is in a, in a luxury complex yeah. with almost half the rent, right? So it was a, it was a big change for us. Wow. But um, it we commented recently, you know, we've been in quarantine down here in Raleigh as long as we were in quarantine up in New Jersey. And the time has absolutely flown by down here because it's so much less stressful. We have plenty of space. We have a dedicated office. You know, we have a little porch so we can go outside safely. I mean, it's it's really yeah. made a, a major change in quality of life. Wow, what's what's the what's the community like? Like, are you are you in a built-up area or is it is it like suburbs well, or? 
Yeah, so Raleigh is really interesting. And, you know, if you care about these nerdy kind of things like I do from an urban planning perspective, it's one of, one of very few capital cities that was built with that intent. So they knew when they built the city of Raleigh and, and set it all up that it was going to become, you know, the capital city. And so it, it's laid out in a very logical way. There's pockets of community that are, you know, housing developments and apartment complexes and condos. And then just, you know, a mile down the road, there's a large amount of businesses, everything you could need in one close area. And it, it's yeah. set up very much like that. So it's almost like little pods, little neighborhoods, you know? That's um, cool. So it's been interesting. I mean, we're doing our best, obviously, you know, we can't go out and try all the local restaurants, and yeah. things, but um, we've done a lot of online networking. We've had a bunch of phone calls and, you know, joined local associations that have online meetings. So we're, we're meeting a lot That's of people nice. virtually at least, um, you know, and, and trying to explore as, as best we can safely. We've found a local park that's nice for taking a walk if you're able to. Um, I found the, the coffee shops that do drive through and, and curbside pickups. So oh, I can, uh, nice. you know, Stay fueled up, and uh, it's 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 definitely been an adventure, but uh, I think we absolutely made the right call, and and we're really really happy down here. Yeah, it's. I, I was saying earlier, people shift there all the time and say the same thing. It's oh, yeah. not just a, hey, COVID, we, we've we've got out of the city. It's like that's a very desirable yeah. place to go all the time. Yeah, it's it's definitely up and coming. What's what's well, I mean, I'm sure it's here. I don't I don't mean to imply that it's small. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's definitely growing and there's a lot of people, especially from up north, moving down here. It's funny, even, you know, near where we live, just, a you know, drive a minute and you'll see Connecticut license plates and, you know, Pennsylvania, yeah. New York, New Jersey. So there's a lot of folks from up north that, that relocate down here. And to your point, it's a, there's a big tech community here. They call it the Research Triangle. And so, you know, in this area, there's the three cities and, and between those three cities, there's not only a lot of universities, there was a lot of innovation and, and research yeah. happening here, but a lot of big tech companies uh, have a significant presence down here. So uh, especially like biomedical uh, is, a, is a big industry down here. So it's definitely a, a fun place to be. It's not uh, not sort of out in the boonies or, you know, really yeah. far removed. There's, there's a lot going on. There's rich culture, uh, you know, when it permits and, and when it's safe, there's, you know, theater and music and, and ballet, you know, there's there's all kinds of stuff happening Sounds down good. here. So, yeah. Yeah, I need to to pop down and check it out. I'll have to, have to let yeah, you guys sure. know. So I'd feel bad if, if I had you on the podcast and didn't didn't ask you because this is this is what you do. So if you allow me, I'd, I'd love to, like, you are a marketer focused on content. <laughs> Um, uh, when, when it comes to your business and, uh, yeah. uh, I know the dynamics there are always different. What have been a couple of, uh, little wins that you've had marketing wise and getting the word out? You know, it's been, it's been an interesting time for marketers of all kinds. I mean, <laughs> one thing that, uh, that I know I've tr been trying to do and I've been recommending for my, my clients and things is to create instructional content. So this is definitely a time when we don't have access to the normal people and places and resources that we would normally. And so content that teaches people how to do things like how to give your partner a haircut or, you know, how to fix your own dishwasher because the repairman won't come or whatever yeah. the case may be, that kind of instructional content is highly valued right now and is being searched for more and more uh, during this time than it was beforehand. So trying to focus 
on content that teaches people how to do things is a really smart strategy right now. Um, for myself personally, I've been doing a lot of experimenting. So like I said, I launched a book in February, which was not great timing because the, it's the very end <laughs> of February and then everything went into yeah. lockdown. So I've had to be a little creative to try to see what things would work to, to spread awareness for the book and, and drive sales. So I did a lot of outreach to professors to see if they'd be interested in using it as a, you know, a supplementary text for their marketing courses or communications courses. Uh, and That's that was not. pretty successful. That that creates you know ongoing sales on a on a you know semester by semester basis. Yep. Um, I experimented with I set up a, uh, a stock photography account on the website Unsplash. There's many of them out there, and I had a bunch of lifestyle photos taken of my book. So you know the book next to a notebook or on a shelf or in a bag, things like that, um, and uploaded a bunch of those. Uh, you know, just as, as stock photos that people could use if they needed a photo of, you know, a book in a notebook for an article about study tips or something. Um, and that's been interesting. It's very difficult to quantify how many yeah. books, if any, that has sold. But I that's can tell creative. you that it was, yeah, I mean, we've gotten the number of impressions and downloads. I mean, it's, it's insane. And it was free, you know. So yeah. uh, I'm just doing all kinds of fun experiments. I think it's now is a time to really think outside the box because, people are really empathetic for the situation we're all in. And, yeah. you know, it, it, there's a lot of room for creativity and for experimentation because so much of what we've done historically has been changing. And so, you know, now's the time to, to try new things, definitely. Yeah, that, that's that's very smart. I'll have to, have to check out the Unsplash. Um, interesting, very cool. All right, well, I want to be mindful of your time uh, who knows? Your, your daughter may have awoken, or or, <laughs> or, or needs the mummy time. Um, thank you so much for for coming on. And uh, if if people want to follow you, where can they find you online? Yeah, so if you search for me, Melanie Diesel, you'll find me on all the social networks that you enjoy. Uh, there's only one of me, so you'll know it's me. Um, yeah. And if you want to learn more about my team and Story Fuel and what we do head over to storyfuel.co, so it's storyfuel.co, and you can find information there about consulting, about having me in to do a workshop for you virtually, uh, and about the book, The Content Fuel Framework, How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas. There we go. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Let me take a minute to thank our sponsor. This podcast is supported by Nudge. Nudge is the platform which enables marketers to measure and get insights on their branded content and content marketing. Sign up or visit the website to help justify my continued podcast investment. That's giveitanudge.com. Thanks to Gustav for editing, his point of view and feedback as we bring these series to life. If you'd like more of these, please do tell us. Feedback helps us improve. You can catch me on Twitter at Bwagy, that's at B-W-A-G-Y. And follow Nudge over at Give It A Nudge at Give It A Nudge. That's it. Thanks.